back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero, and I'm here with my guy, Alex Lott. What's up, my brother? Say what's up to the people. Feeling good, Steph. Super excited for today's show. It's it's fantasy time. It's football time. We're, what, two months away? Less than two months away from the regular season. Um, so this is the time to like get your studying in. It's like final exam week. This whole month is final <laughs> exam week level of studying, doing your research, doing your mock drafts, listening to us. Hopefully we can bring some some good takes here today, some stuff that's going to help you out in your drafts. I, I just can't wait, Steph. I'm super hyped for this season. It's going to be a good one. I mean, I know we've got some negativity surrounding it. You always see a couple of truthers here and there saying this season's not going to happen. I'm fading all that noise. Don't I'm tell rocking. me that. If I hear that, I'm blocking it out. Exactly. Exactly. I'm living that way too. Guys, if you like what we're doing here on the show, please give us a subscribe on YouTube. That helps us a ton. You can also follow us on Twitter. Send us your start sit questions during the season. If you have trade questions, want advice, you name it, we're here to help. And we're actually going to start off today's show with a question from one of our listeners. It's our guy at RhinoRooster99 on Twitter. And he's starting off today with a dynasty trade question. He says, Jalen Ragor or Darius Slayton in Dynasty. So Jalen Ragor was drafted in the first round, I believe the 21st overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft by the Philadelphia Eagles. Darius Slayton being the uh, the rookie last year for the Giants that had a few boom games. Uh, Alex, I'm curious to hear your take on this one. Who are you taking? Yeah, this is a tough one because I actually like the upside of both guys a decent amount. But for me, it's Darius Slayton. And, and really the reason being is, in a dynasty league, well, first of all, I have Darius Slayton actually statted out for a better season this year, which I'm always looking to win this year in dynasty. Rebuilding is what it is, but I, I love competing for championships. So for me, I love the upside of Darius Slayton this season with the New York Giants. And I always will want a guy that's proven it in the NFL, right? So so Jalen Rager is a, is a phenomenal talent on the Eagles. He should have really good opportunity. We look at the receiver group they have there. Deshaun Jackson's getting older. Alshon Jeffrey might actually miss games to start this season. Zach Ertz is getting older. So the Eagles expect Jalen Rager to be the guy for years to come. But who knows? Maybe he comes in and he just can't get it done for Philly. I think he can. I like the talent. But there's just a lot of question marks there with the Eagles. This year they have a very crowded wide receiver room. And with Darius Slayton, he's proven that he can do it. He had a phenomenal season last year with the Giants. He's got the young quarterback in Daniel Jones who will be growing with him throughout his career. That New York Giants team is young. The offense should be dynamic this season. And there's just a lot to be excited about um, with Darius Slayton. Steph, what do you think? I'm taking the other side of the coin here. I I love Slayton, and I especially love him in, in redraft this year. But in a dynasty setting, I feel like Slayton's getting a little bit overvalued. He only had four weeks last year, over 15 points. And he didn't even have a week where he was in the 20s in terms of PPR points scored. He had two... Uh, weeks where he was over 30 points and that was a game against the Jets and against the Eagles and everyone suddenly wants to crown Slayton as the king of New York now and I mean you said the Eagles have a credit receiving core but so do the Giants Shepard Tate Ingram you know Saquon's gonna get his and even just looking at the draft capital Slayton was taken in the fifth round he's a little bit older too he's 23 and a half years old Ray Gore you know obviously yes you know this there's more question marks as a rookie first year in the NFL, but to me he has a clear path to usage and he's only 21 and a half years old. 
you know, we see Greg Ward and Matt Collins, guys like that coming in and getting it done for Philly last year. If they can get it done, I have no question in my mind that Ray Gore absolutely can. We got Alshon Jeffrey starting the year on the pup out of his prime. Deshaun Jackson dealt with injury last season. He's kind of having some weird off-the-field stuff going on right now, too, and he's past his prime. This team, to me, is just begging. It's ripe for an alpha wide receiver one to come in there, and I think Ray Gore fits that skill set for you know Wentz being able to go out and air the ball out. Like This kid's a go-up-and-get-it thrasher type of guy. I think thrasher is the way that I would describe Jalen Ray Gore because this kid's just a human highlight reel. If Go watch his college highlights. They are insane. And this is a guy I'll be, be preaching about a lot on this channel uh, until he proves me otherwise. I love Jalen Ragor in, in 2020 and beyond. Um, I mean, both of these offenses are you know, going to have the volume. Both are over 600 pass attempts last year. This is kind of just like a pick your poison. To me, Ragor is, is the clear takeaway uh, over Slayton. I think Slayton's just yeah. the hype train's booming too fast. No, for sure. And I like Jalen Ragor too. There was a lot of hate. For him when he went in the first round this year a lot of guys were really questioning that pick why'd he go in front of justin jefferson yeah. some of the other wide receivers i was actually vouching for jalen rager i think he's an extreme talent and he's honestly more of a potential alpha wide receiver one in the nfl that can kind of do it all um, but i look at what darius slayton did last season 48 receptions 740 yards eight touchdowns 15.4 yards per catch. I think about Daniel Jones and how he loves to sling the ball down the field. I think that's going to be a really good connection for years to come. I'll say Slayton's probably the safer option just because we have seen it. But as far as upside goes, I think Jalen Rager's upside could be um, to be a top 10 receiver in the NFL, where I just don't know at this point if Darius Slayton can get there. So from that regard, Steph, I will give it to you. But I think as far as likelihood goes, Darius Slayton will be a fantasy asset for the next several years, where with Jalen Rager, we hope so. But it still remains to be seen until we see him this season. That's fair. That's fair. I, I just see Ragor taking over as the one here. And I think he was drafted to be that. I hope so. I, 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 I really like the player. I really hope so. The, the blueprint that I feel like Doug Peterson's kind of putting together is like trying to mimic the Kansas City Chiefs. Like they're going out, getting all these deep threats. They got Deshaun Jackson last year. Uh, they like using, you know, a receiving uh, running back out of the backfield, Miles Sanders. So I see a lot to like for the Ragor situation. Uh, maybe we're kind of splitting hairs here as these guys are both kind of these upside deep threat names, but I see Ray Gore as the more of the long-term consistent option, but I think we're going to agree to, to disagree on this one here. Uh, we do have another question coming in uh, from Matt in Texas. He says, every year we hear about draft strategies like zero running back or late round quarterback. Do either of you guys follow or recommend a specific draft strategy? Well, that's a good question. I'll say the one that I typically follow. There's there's really not one that I abide by every single year, no matter what, except the late round quarterback strategy. I think a lot of it's dependent when you talk about zero running back or, you know, taking a tight end earlier, wide receiver heavy early, whatever you want to do in those early rounds. So much of it is dependent on your draft position and who's on the board. Like it, it just really depends how the draft falls. And based on how that goes, you're going to have to be flexible with your decision making. But the one thing year in and year out that I find myself doing is taking a late quarterback. This year is no different because for me, the value above replacement at the quarterback position is just is just not that big. So you think about a Patrick Mahomes, maybe he's getting you 25, 30 points a week, but you can find quarterbacks later on or stream quarterbacks that are going to get you. 18 to 24 points a week and that's only a five or six point difference where at the running back position where you're taking them a homes you can get a guy like a 
who knows, like a Josh Jacobs and Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, someone in that tier that's going to be putting up 20, 25 points a week, where if you punt the running back position later on in those middle rounds, you might have a guy getting you eight to 12 points a week. And that 12, you know, 10 to 12 point difference at the running back position is a lot more. I think quarterbacks are a lot easier to replace. Running backs are scarce. So that's why I love um, loading up on running backs early. But like this season, you look at quarterbacks on the board and we've done a lot of mocks on this show and even off the air stuff where last round of the draft, second to last round of the draft in a 12 team league, you're seeing names like Carson Wentz, I think, fell to like the 13th round in a mock we did, which was insane. I don't know what happened there, but (laughs) consistently we're seeing Baker Mayfield go undrafted, Jared Goff go undrafted, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Those guys are falling to double-digit rounds. I can't imagine you're going to find – maybe you can take a lottery pick or a handcuff in those rounds. That could hit for you but might not. But a lot of the time the players you're drafting there you are going to end up cutting where you could take – you know, elite talent or very good talent that's going to be a starter for you in a running back or receiver spot early on instead of that quarterback and still find that value later on. So I'm a big proponent of the late quarterback strategy. Um, And year in and year out, that's what I do. But that's probably the only, you know, Bible level fantasy football truth that I take into drafts. I think it's, it's so silly if you try to go into a draft saying like, I'm going to stick to this one strategy no matter what, because a lot of times too, like it makes sense to zig when everyone else zags. And, you know, this year kind of seems like there's a meta evolving, which is going running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver. But in that too, like, you know, sometimes you can even grab like a Devontae Adams in the second round, which I think to me at that, then at that point, it could be a value, right? So if you're getting like a, I don't know, let's say a, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, and then you're grabbing Devontae Adams. Now you have, I mean, two locked in, assuming, you know, good health guys at the position, but Good health and good contracts. <laughs> yes, health and contracts. That's that's the blessings we need in 2020. But no, I, th- I think you got to be fluid in your drafts. You can't be too stringent on one specific strategy. And you hear a lot of other guys in the fantasy community and in the industry saying this stuff as well. Um, and I agree with them. So it, it also depends on your draft too. Like, you know, I, I'm with you on the late QB thing, but at the same time, it's like if Lamar Jackson's there at the back of the third because everyone's going late quarterback, then at that point he becomes a value. So it's more about understanding yeah. within the picks in your draft where guys are as a value. I have a few players, I kind of have this like running notepad that I have open uh, at my, on my phone where it's just like if X player falls past this pick, it's an instant pickup. So that's kind of what you want to have in your mind. It doesn't need to be as specific as that, but just knowing that, hey, if, if so-and-so falls to this round, I'm picking them up. It's kind of a way for you to lock in your guys, so to speak, in the draft and, and look at your roster at the end of it and be like, hey, I really like this team that I have. But uh, Alex, anything else to add here? We're getting into some pretty interesting names here, some mid-round values, some league winners that we can take. No, nothing else to add on this. Steph, I'm super excited. So I'll, I'll preface this next segment, the focus of today's show. We're talking about mid-round league winners. And what we mean by that is these are not the smash picks in the first and second round. We're not talking about Ezekiel Elliott or Josh Jacobs or any of those chalk names. But we're also not really talking about super deep sleepers. We did that last time. Really not even sleepers. Maybe you could consider them. Um, like a, like a value or a sleeper like that. But we're talking about guys you can take probably in, you know, the late fourth round to like the 10th round, the ninth or 10th round that are going to be those guys that you draft on your bench, maybe as your tight end two, maybe as your running back three or four or your receiver three or four or five, that we see upside in that player to where they can emerge and be this top 12 player that wins you a league. 
Last year, I think about names like A.J. Brown, Devontae Parker. It took them time to get ramped up. But by the end of the season, they were um, in championship lineups, in winning you leagues, putting up points week in and week out. So these are guys we're targeting in the middle rounds of drafts with upside that we think could finish the year, um, really returning on the investment of their draft position and getting us into playoffs and winning us championships. So with that, I will throw it to you, Steph, for your first mid-round league winner. Who you got? So my first league winner, I feel like this guy could have been in this segment the last like two or three years because it's Marvin Jones Jr., the wide receiver two from Let's uh, go. Detroit. MJJ is getting the respect he deserves. Dude, the MJJ movement is strong. Shout out to you, Alex. Shout out to our boy, Mike Lou at BDGE, because we are all over the MJJ hype train. Right now, his ADP per fantasy pros is the wide receiver 37, which is essentially the seventh round. I mean, he's been slept on pretty much every year. Jones is like I get him every year. I've literally drafted (laughs) Marvin Jones in our league that we're in together. If you go back and look at the records, I think I've had him like four years in a row as my flex. (laughs) Shout out to our guys in uh, Sunday's Finest. But Jones is exactly the type of guy that you're looking for in the mid-rounds of your drafts. When you're looking at maybe your fourth or fifth wide receiver, like you said, Jones is giving you that upside to win you a week from your flex or wide receiver two spot, especially in shootout matchups you can kind of predict if you're putting the line at where jones finishes assuming he plays 13 or more games if we put that line at wide receiver 34 uh so that's his that's his uh expert consensus rankings ecr on fantasy pros i'm smashing the over on that jones was 19th in ppr points per game finishes the wide receiver 27 last year and one of the first thing that stands out to me when we're looking at jones yeah, last year and even before that is the red zone volume. Jones had 11 red zone receptions last season, which was ninth amongst wide receivers. And this was just in 13 games. He scored nine touchdowns in two of the last three seasons. And for reference on that touchdown number, last year, the receiver opposite of, of Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, led the league in touchdowns with 11. And Jones was right there with him in the top five in terms of total touchdowns. And it looks like Matt Stafford airing it out to the receivers is the only way this Lions offense is really going to score. You know, a stat I read, uh, which actually blew me away, this was just on ESPN, is that in the 12 games where Jones, Galladay, and Danny Amendola were all healthy and in the lineup, Jones and Galladay had a 20% target share. So they were about even. Jones actually got one extra target over Galladay wow. when everybody was healthy, active, and on the field. So don't let the Kenny G hype. You know, we all love Kenny G. I, I think we have him at our wide receiver six or seven. I mean, don't let him scare you away from grabbing Marvin Jones in the mid rounds. And the Lions brought in some great talent in the draft, but they lost their star corner, big play, Darius Slay. I, I love Jeff Okuda, the, the corner they drafted third overall out of uh, Ohio State, but there aren't many, if, if any, rookies that can come into this brutal Detroit defense and do what Slay was doing last year. So expect these shootout game scripts to continue. Jones isn't going to give you, you know, any sort of consistency, but he will have those five or six massive boom games. I remember last year he had a four-touchdown game against the Minnesota Vikings. He had a game with 126 yards against the Raiders last year. So you can you can get those five or six just weak-winning weeks out of Marvin Jones. And with DeAndre Swift now in the backfield in Detroit, we'll see if the Lions can get a run game going for once. Maybe that uh, that brings down the touchdown numbers for Jones, but that's a risk I am very much willing to take in the mid-rounds of my draft. Yeah, absolutely. And if the Lions can't get a running game going this season, they might be the 2012 Lions, which I posted uh, <laughs> a fact on Twitter today that said in 2012, Matt Stafford had 727 pass Insane. attempts. 
And Megatron had 204 targets. And, <laughs> you know, I do expect them to get a better running game going this year with Kyrion still there and then DeAndre Swift as well. But bottom line is the Lions are going to throw the ball a ton. Jones and Galladay are going to see a ton of targets. And, Steph, you brought up a lot of good points comparing Jones and Galladay. They're actually a lot closer to a 1A, 1B situation than people realize. Yeah. When they were healthy last season, Marvin Jones in games that he played, he played 90% of snaps. Kenny G was at 87% of snaps in games that he played. So in terms of who's on the field, they're both out there essentially all the time for Detroit. Um, it really just depends on what the defense is showing Matt Stafford that day, what kind of looks they're getting. <laughs> and it seems like when Stafford locks in on Marvin Jones, he does not look the other way. He's had a couple. Um, he had the four touchdown game last season. I want to say he had another one the year before. Um, so he's definitely had several blow-up games in his career, and he gives you that upside. And in worst-case scenario with Marvin Jones, he's giving you, like, three catches for 50 yards or four catches for 60 yards or something like that, which isn't great. But getting him at this ADP and maybe putting him in a flex spot with the upside, it definitely is worth worth that value. So yeah. I love the pick on Marvin Jones. I could talk all – we could make a whole podcast episode <laughs> out of Marvin Jones, and I think we'd have enough content to talk about. So 60 yards I cannot a game. Applaud, I cannot <laughs> applaud you enough for that pick, Steph. Well, uh, hopefully we can see the Lions go back to that in, in uh, that 2012 season and see 730 pass attempts from Matt Stafford. I, I don't know what was going on that year. Like, did they even run the ball? <laughs> I guess not. Who was their running back? Was that the Joik Bell days or Mikel LaShore or someone like that? If you're yeah, listening, check it out for us. Drop it on our Twitter page or something. <laughs> we don't have time to look it up here on the fly. Too many hot takes to get into, but um, I'm definitely super excited for this Detroit team. Cannot wait to see how it turns out for them. All right, so for my first mid-round league winner, I'm going with Ronald Jones for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Teams up with Tom Brady this season, and I can't believe his ADP is where it is. It's running back 32 right now, which is the seventh round, and he finished as the RB25 last season in full PPR. So somehow he finished as the RB25 last year in a weird situation living in like some sort of alternate universe vortex with that Tampa Bay team with Jamison the 30 30 and things like that finished as the RB 25 and somehow this year he bumps back to the RB 32 so maybe there's more running backs in the mix this season but that doesn't make a lot of sense to me when Ronald Jones had his situation improved drastically in the offseason and he's really continuing to improve as a pro he saw a huge step a bigger step than any other player from year one to year two um, last season so Ronald Jones, if we look at his stats last year, he had 172 attempts for 724 yards and six touchdowns. That's 4.2 yards per carry. Not bad considering his rookie season. I think he was at like two point something yards per carry. So saw a huge step forward in his efficiency. Saw a huge step forward in the number of his attempts. This is a guy who was a second rounder just two seasons ago. So we know the talent is there. In the passing game last year, Jones had 40 targets for 31 receptions and 309 yards. Not incredible receiving volume, but he was getting work in the passing game. One is the obvious Tom Brady comes into town. So you got to think this Tampa Bay offense is going to be a bit more efficient. They were high volume last season, but the efficiency should go up with Tom Brady. And the other big thing is Peyton Barber is gone. That was this classic give it to Peyton Barber and let him cram it up the middle um, game plan for the Bucks, and he's gone now. So, yes, they bring in Keyshawn Vaughn. I'll get into him a little bit later and the skill set that he adds alongside of Ronald Jones. But um, I think Peyton Barber was really cutting into Ronald Jones because their skill set and their mold was almost the same. So Peyton Barber leaves 154 carries and six rushing touchdowns of his own. 
And I actually took the liberty to look at the Bucks last season inside of the five and inside of the 10, because I was a Ronald Jones owner last season. And there was nothing more frustrating than seeing the Bucks get inside the five or the 10 and Peyton Barber cram it into his left guard three times in a row. And Ronald Jones never <laughs> seen the field. So I looked at their carries and Ronald Jones only had two attempts inside of the five yard line last season. Wow. And he scored on both of them. Peyton Barber was eight attempts inside of the five, <laughs> and he only scored on four. And then Daria Gumbawale actually had seven attempts inside of the five. Must have been a you know a two-minute drill or something where they got a bunch of carries no inside way. the five. And he only scored on two of them. So Ronald Jones was the most efficient out of those guys. And I actually went back and looked at inside the 10-yard line, and Ronald Jones only had 10 carries inside of the 10-yard line, and six of the 10 went for a touchdown. That was the best touchdown rate inside the 10-yard line of all running backs with at least 10 attempts inside of the 10. Wow. So you look at this situation. Ronald Jones was effective inside the 5. He was effective inside the 10. Just didn't really get the opportunity. There's no way Agumba Wale is getting touches in there this season. And Peyton Barber has gone. So Ronald Jones should see all of the goal line um, in red zone work on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense that you would figure would score more touchdowns and more rushing touchdowns in 2020. I think there is a very realistic path for Ronald Jones to get 12 touchdowns this season with Tom Brady, which would put him way ahead of his current ADP. Um, And then you look at this Buccaneers team this season, the mold is a little bit different. Last year, their O-line was 23rd in run blocking. Not great. They brought in a first rounder um, in Tristan Wirfs as an offensive tackle, signed another offensive tackle from the Colts who has 35 starts in four seasons with them. His name is Joe Haig. Um, He was a reserve, kind of a swing offensive lineman. That should help that group as well. And then the big piece for the Bucs is Keyshawn Vaughn, a guy whose ADP is right around the same area as Ronald Jones. And I can't believe that Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones are being drafted in the same area. Ronald Jones has an established um, trust now with Bruce Arians. I know he got benched a couple times last season for pass protection and things like that. But if you just look at his rookie to sophomore year, he took huge step for huge steps forward in this offense. I expect that to continue. He's going to be the goal line guy, the guy getting the touchdowns. So I don't know why Keyshawn Vaughn comes in as a third round pick, seventh running back off the board this season in the draft, and is immediately like being taken ahead of Ronald Jones. Steph, between Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones, which guy would you rather have in PPR this year? I mean, I mean, I'm with you on the Ro- Rojo hype. I do like Vaughn a lot, but I, I see him fitting more into that, you know, receiving back, scat back type of role, whereas Rojo is going to be more of the, you know, goal line power type back. We'll see if that remains the, con- uh, you know, stays true throughout the season, but I have a hard time believing that both of these guys are going to finish, you know, in the same realm. Like, I feel like one is definitely going to rise above the other. Maybe this, you know, Rojo totally busters out and it's just Keyshawn Vaughn who takes over. But either way, I mean, it, it's silly to me that they're both going pretty much at the same ADP. Yeah, I agree. And I have that actually in my notes. Keyshawn Vaughn is more of a change of pace back that can catch the ball. He can run it okay between the tackles, but I think his skill set complements Jones really well. And I think some of the touches that he gets are actually going to cut into Agumbo Wale's touches because Vaughn can get it done in the receiving game. He's a decent pass protector. He can run the ball as well. So I think he's actually going to vulture a lot of Daria Agumbo Wale's work as well as cut into some of that volume that Peyton Barber saw last season. So right now for Keyshawn Vaughn, I have him at around nine carries a game and three targets a game in support of Ronald Jones. So I do have him as being involved, but I think there's still plenty of rushing volume um, to be had for Ronald Jones. And one last thing I want to mention about this Bucks offense, I looked at Tom Brady's past five seasons because we all know he loves checking it down to James White. 
Rex Burkhead is even involved in the passing game. Um, he's a running back. I was throwing it to Danny Woodhead back in the day. So over the past five seasons, Brady has targeted the running back position at least 130 times in each season. And last year, the Bucks only had 113 targets to the running back. So no, I'm not saying necessarily with a new system and a new team that Brady's going to hit that 130 mark. But I think it's a safe bet to say he's going to get somewhere between 115 um, and probably 140 targets to the running back position this season. I don't think there's any chance that between a Goomba Wale and Keyshawn Vaughn, they're going to eat up 120 targets to the running back spot. So that leaves plenty of volume for Ronald Jones to get some checkdowns in this offense. You think about what Brady does. If it's a pass play and the pocket's collapsing, he doesn't have the mobility to scramble out, extend the play, hit a receiver that's mirroring him down the field. He just has to turn and check it down to the running back. So I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Jones to hit a pass protection and turn around and catch a pass from Brady. Um, so his receiving volume should at least give him a decent baseline. I'm not saying he's going to be elite, but it should be there this season. So right now I have Ronald Jones as a running back too, but if things go right wow. with touchdowns and with passing work this season, there is a ceiling for him. That's actually a running back one in that top 12. Wow. You know, another thing too, that, that I'm surprised you didn't mention is that Bruce Arians typically isn't one to give a lot of snaps and a lot of involvement two rookies that he drafts. You remember like David Johnson took him a year and a half, it seems like, to become relevant and actually get the uses that he should have been getting back in, I believe it was 2016, when he absolutely dominated. Guy won me a couple of fantasy championships. It's like, you're seeing what he's doing on the field, Bruce Arians. Why aren't you putting this guy in the game? I think we might see a little bit from that from Vaughn as well, kind of like the, the prove-it mentality when bringing these rookies in. So I think this is Rojo's backfield to lose. Um, and I, I mean, based on everything you said there, I have no reason to believe that, that he's going to let his opportunity slip away. He has a ceiling there that I think a lot of running backs, especially at that ADP, just do not have. So I'm with you. So we're talking about these deep running backs here, these mid-round running backs that you're getting in the eighth or ninth round. And, and one that I want to talk about here is a, kind of a guy that when you look at, you know, you're looking at your cheat sheets, right? And you see Ronald Jones. And another one that you see right below him uh, would be Jordan Howard. And that's who I want to talk about here for a minute. Right now his ADP is the RB36. That's, that's the eighth or ninth round there. And we all know running backs are scarce. That's why we preach starting your draft with two running backs. But Howard is, is kind of the last running back that you'll see on a draft board that will actually be the featured back in their respective offense. I know the first kind of worry or question mark with Howard would be Matt Breda coming in, uh, who was also brought into Miami, but he's going to be more of their receiving back and their change of pace back. And he's had his own issues kind of staying on the field. And Miami's already come out and said, like, he's our speed change of pace guy. We're going to get him out in space. So I think you're going to give Breda, you know, more of the, uh, the check down volume, the screen volume, you know, some different exotic looks like that. But between the tackles on the goal line and any power run situation, first and second down, I think the ball's going to Jordan Howard. Miami knows exactly what they were getting when they signed Jordan Howard. He's been productive his entire career. This is actually a very surprising stat to me, which I feel like it's brought up every time we bring up Jordan Howard. But Howard, since he got drafted in 2016, he is third in the NFL in not only rushing attempts, but also rushing yards, even while missing half That's a season crazy. in 2019. It's absolutely wild. He has a 4.3 career yards per attempt. And he's one of those backs that's kind of like, uh, you know, Carlos Hyde. He's just going to be a shoe-in for, you know, 230-plus carries, 250 carries a season. Howard hasn't finished with less than six touchdowns in a season. And here are his finishes in PPR. In 2016, he finished as the RB10 as a rookie. In 2017, he finished as the RB14. In 2018, he was the RB20. 
And last year, before he went down with a shoulder injury uh, that essentially took him out for the back half of the season, he was the RB15 on the year. And the Dolphins have already come out and said, and so has Howard, that he is 100% ready to go. And it actually blew my mind to see that Howard is still 25 years old. This guy is still very much in his prime window. It's He's crazy, got two or man. three years exactly like left in his prime. You don't get the massive upside that maybe like a, a you know Ronald Jones or I know a guy you're going to talk about here in a minute, Jonathan Taylor has. But if you need a running back that's not going to you know ruin your week and totally just shit the bed, I think Howard is a, a great RB2 plug-in, especially if you take a risky name like Dalvin Cook, Todd Gurley, Clyde Edwards-Alaire early in your draft. You, you want to hedge that a little bit. I think Howard fits that profile. Right now, Vegas has Miami at six and a half wins, which was actually pretty surprising to me. They made a lot of upgrades. It, it seems high. It, it does. I mean, that's six lowest. So, I mean, even the worst teams, Vegas has it like five wins. Still seems high. It does. It, it really, really <laughs> does. I mean, I don't see how this team's going to improve all that much, even with the, the pieces that they brought in. I mean, they pretty much upgraded every part of their team from their secondary, the defensive line, offensive line, quarterback. It's like – but – what is that going to turn into in their first year together? I don't know. And then you have question marks with two on his health. Like, I don't know if he sees the field this year, especially the shortened like COVID year. If things go the right way though, for Howard, you're getting a guy who can play you can pretty much plug him in in the right matchups. If you think he's going to get into the end zone, just like in Philly and Chicago, I'm sure that Howard is going to have these multiple touchdown weeks. And in the eighth or ninth round, I think Jordan Howard should be a name that all fantasy players consider drafting. I love the pick, Steph. And to be honest with you, the guy I just talked about, Ronald Jones and Jordan Howard, are the two guys that in that eighth, ninth round as my RB4 normally, I'm looking at those two guys as my pick because they're kind of the last – they're two starters. Like they are starters on their team, and they're going that late in draft. So if my running back four is still a starter, I'm super happy with that. I definitely think Jordan Howard will return, barring injury, will return on that ADP this season. So how I think about this is I don't think Jordan Howard, like you mentioned, I don't think he has quite the upside of a Ronald Jones, but I think he is a much safer pick to where Jordan Howard's going to finish the year if he stays healthy for the whole season as a top 25 running back. With Ronald Jones, I see the upside being there, but I think there's also a situation where Keyshawn Vaughn comes in and is actually the lead back. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. And with Jordan Howard, he's so safe. I can't imagine him not being at least a high-end RB3 um, so I, I love the pick and he's a very steady and safe pick that will help you win leagues by filling in on bye weeks giving you consistency when you need it, things like that. And I know the one knock I've seen on Jordan Howard this offseason has been how bad this Miami Dolphins offensive line is. Last season, according to Football Outsiders, they had the dead last <laughs> 32nd ranked run blocking offensive Poor line. Kalen Balaj. They, yeah, oh my gosh. Kalen Balaj, didn't he have like two yards per carry or something, something like that? Brutal. Um, and then, you know, Patrick Laird is, is running. I don't know. It was a train wreck for Miami last season. But I look at this offensive line and what they did to address it in the offseason, and they did a ton. In the draft, they signed or they drafted Austin Jackson in the first round as an offensive tackle. They drafted Robert Hunt early in the second round as a guard. They took another guard in the fourth round. So right there, there's two probable um, starters as rookies that have the talent to get there. And then another depth piece in the fourth round. And then you look at free agency. They signed guard Eric Flowers. Say what you want about whether he's good or not. But he got a three-year, $30 million deal, $10 million a year. So they paid him in free agency. He's going to start on the O-line. They even signed 
a center, a backup center from the Patriots. So that's just more depth on this offensive line. They really are addressing the position and making sure they throw everything at it so they're not dead last in the NFL and run blocking next season. I think they probably aren't going to be a top half O-line, especially if you are starting a couple rookies and have some new faces in there. They're probably not going to mesh together immediately. But I'd put my money on them not finishing dead last in run blocking. Maybe they're like, you know, 24th, 25th. (laughs) Still an improvement from the brutal season we saw last year. Enough to get it done. If we look at like the the way that the Dolphins were playing last year, I mean, Fitzmagic is moving the ball. He, he's getting them down there in the red zone. I just feel like if yep. they're down there and then it's, okay, let's give our power back, the guy that we just signed at a, at a fairly decent deal, Jordan Howard, to come in and just hand him the ball up the middle. And I think you're going to be pleased with a couple of weeks when he gets you know two or three of those and ends up getting in there for six. Absolutely. I love it, Steph. So I'll go ahead and talk about my other running back as a mid-round league winner. He's a little bit early in the mid-rounds. It's Jonathan Taylor. Right now, his ADP is running back 22. He's going in the late fourth round, early fifth rounds in some early fifth round in some drafts. But Jonathan Taylor, he's got hyped up all offseason for his talent. He was my favorite running back in the class. He has a really interesting combination of power, yet that 439 speed that we saw at the combine. So I'm super excited. For Jonathan Taylor as a Colts fan, I will say maybe it's a little bit of a homer pick. Keep me honest here, Steph. I'm excited to hear your take after I lay out some facts here. But Jonathan Taylor comes into an ideal situation for a running back. He, Yes, he has some competition there. So maybe it's not perfect. I take that back. Maybe it's not perfectly <laughs> ideal. But as far as the offensive line goes, that's what you want as a running back. We talk about these guys in San Francisco like Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman running in a good offensive run scheme behind a good O-line. And do we think Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman are, you know, top 10 running backs in the NFL talent wise? No, but they come into a situation where the scheme and the line is so good that it doesn't matter who's running the ball. Um, So for the Colts, you have a really good running scheme under Frank Reich and you have one of the most elite offensive lines in the NFL. It doesn't matter who's running the ball. They're going to get it done. We saw we've seen Marlon Mack get it done for years. We saw Jonathan Williams come in and be like the waiver pickup of the week for he was one nasty. week to do nothing else the rest of the season. He, he had like was... a 100-plus yard game. We've seen Jordan Wilkins get it done. Like anyone who comes into this backfield has been able to run behind this O-line. Now you combine it with an incredible talent like Jonathan Taylor, and it's going to be fun, especially for me as a Colts fan. It is going to be fun. So he comes into a great situation, and even with Marlon Mack there, even with Naheem Hines there, I think Jonathan Taylor could see up to 250 carries this season. Marlon Mack, for reference, last year had 247, so he was right there. Um, and, and this year as the backup, uh, Marlon Mack should still see somewhere over 100 carries. Last year, Jordan Wilkins and Jonathan Williams combined for 100 carries on their own. So I see Mack getting a lot of that backup work that they got maybe a little bit more. And Jonathan Taylor should come into the lead back role here in Indy right away. Um, I know one of the concerns is Naheem Hines. I don't see him getting much work on the ground. But with Phillip Rivers, I do expect Naheem Hines to get some check down and some passing volume. So maybe that caps Taylor's upside just a little bit. But I still think Taylor's an adequate receiver. And like I said with Brady earlier in the show, if Taylor's, if Taylor's the running back on the field and it's a pass play and the pocket's collapsing, Rivers is going to dump it off to whoever's there. Last year, we saw Eckler get a tremendous amount of receiving volume. Melvin Gordon still had a lot of receiving volume, yeah. even with Austin Eckler there in that offense. Phillip Rivers loves to dump it down to the running back. Rivers targeted the running back position 182 times last season. Wow. Absolutely incredible. So you can't tell me, because Marlon yeah. Mack isn't really going to be a factor 
uh, in the receiving game. Naheem Hines is not getting 100 targets this year. So even if Rivers, I'm not saying he's going to get 182 targets to the running back, but if that's 140, 150, that still leaves, I mean, 50 to probably 75 targets, um, minimum of 40 targets for Jonathan Taylor in this offense, which should be plenty enough for him um, to really help his receiving floor and make him a fantasy asset. So, look, I love Jonathan Taylor. I think he should be talked about in the Nick Chubb category more than he's being talked about right now. Right now, Nick Chubb's ADP is the running back 10. And when you think about it, it's a similar situation. Their run style and their skill set is similar. Um, they're power runners, fast runners, but they don't have you know, an elite receiving skills, but they can get it done. They're in a run-focused offense, the Browns and the Colts. Um, they have a receiving back to take away receiving work. The Browns have Kareem Hunt. The Colts have Naheem Hines. And then they also have a backup running back that's going to take away some work on the ground. The Colts have Marlon Mack, and the Browns have Kareem Hunt. So, you know, Nick Chubb's going as the RB10. I know he's a little bit more established. We've seen him be effective for years. Jonathan Taylor comes in as a rookie. But the talent's there. The situation's there. Um, and I'm just all aboard the Jonathan Taylor hype train. And I'm, the, the hype train is real for JT, and I'm, I'm with you right on it. Uh, I mean, if we look at it from like a measurables analytics perspective, I mean, the comp on player profile is Ezekiel Elliott. I think anybody that watches, that, that saw Jonathan Taylor play on Wisconsin last year would say that Ezekiel Elliott is a perfect comp for him. I mean, the concern is the volume, but I think if, if Taylor comes out and is what everybody expects him to be, he's going to be the clear RB1 in that running back room uh, a couple games into the season. You might have, just have to wait a few weeks to, to let him get going. But in the mid-rounds, I think it is an incredible value. And it is it is truly a league-winning pick. We talk about that as like the yep. true definition of league winning. And you remember last year, like, I don't know if you remember, uh, you probably remember as the Colts fan, the run the damn ball, you know, mantra that everybody was saying down in Indy. I think that could continue. Like, yes, uh, Phillip Rivers is still there and he's going to air it out more than Jacoby Brissett is. But at that same token, it's like, you know, Rivers isn't like a Tom Brady. We expect him to come in and, and just be fantastic right away. Like, what's to say the, the wheels don't fall off for Rivers um, like they did kind of last year in L.A. where he's just like, you know, frustrated late in games, just trying to air it out as best as he can. If, if yeah, I'm this Frank is, Reich, This might be I'm the like, best team that Phillip Rivers has ever played on. Uh, potentially, potentially. But for, for like, if, I, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm like, why am I going to even risk putting Phillip Rivers in a position where he's going to need to air it out like that and, and you know, turn the ball over right. when I can just hand it off to Jonathan Taylor 15 to, to 20 times a game and just let him either run out the middle, run out to the outside, and even get some of that check down passing volume. So I'm with you. I think everybody's extremely high on Jonathan Taylor. It's more of just like a... Uh, concern in his rookie year is he going to immediately come in and just get rid of Marlon Mack and it, it's really hard right now to kind of sift through the coach speak that we're hearing for all we know Jonathan Taylor could just come out and be the one on this team and Marlon Mack was only seeing you know eight carries a game so we'll see what happens there but it, it really is a league winning pick so I, I love it there right yeah one one last quick note on Jonathan Taylor actually a couple things according to fantasy pros just to build on the hype train that we've already got going I mean you know, trains coming, you either get hit or get off the tracks. But um, according to Fantasy Pros, the Colts have the easiest schedule in 2020 for running backs. Wow. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity here for the Colts. And the reason I really love Taylor so much is the last thing I'll say. I think in a worst case scenario, this is a 60-40 split in favor of Taylor. And if JT gets 60% of the work in this offense, I still think he's an RB2, which right now he's being drafted – as the running back 22. So I think in a worst case scenario with only 60% of the work, Mac is very involved. Hines is involved in the passing game. 
I think Taylor could still return on that ADP. But if he comes out, one, if someone else gets hurt, which we never know it's going to happen. But two, like you said, Taylor could come out and be the workhorse. And if that's the case, there's no doubt he's a top eight running back. So if, I, if I I'm think Frank that, Reich, my whole playbook is going to be Jonathan Taylor, run behind Quentin Nelson, and just see how far he can go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's actually a safety net here because you don't have to pay up, you know, high risk, high reward. We think about the first round type of players. Like a Clyde Edwards Hilaire is in a similar boat where I think right now, worst case scenario for CEH is below where he's being drafted. You know, if Damian Williams gets more work than we think and it takes him a while to get worked in, he's probably not worth the draft capital in the top of the second round or wherever he's going right now. But with Jonathan Taylor, I think the worst case scenario for him, you can still justify taking him in the fourth or fifth round. So I think it's a safe pick, but then the upside is there. So that's why I love this Jonathan Taylor pick. I can't wait to see like in two or three years from now when we compare JT versus CEH, because I think these guys are both extremely hyped up. We're both the top prospects in this class. You add in DeAndre Swift there too. Um, It's just, it's an exciting time for for these rookie running backs. So my last mid-round value here, I'm jumping on the hype train. Everybody's been excited about this guy. The hype is real with Deontay Johnson, wide receiver two on the depth chart, maybe even the three action now that I'm thinking about it. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, his ADP right now is a wide receiver 38, which is essentially the eighth round. That's just, that's insane to me. That's behind Christian Kirk, John Brown, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks. With with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges throwing in the ball, Deontay Johnson had five touchdowns. He saw 92 targets and had 11.5 yards per reception. How did he pull that off? The thing is, with all those numbers, like all all those numbers are going to go up with a healthy Big Ben, a healthy James Conner, everybody back. And the fantasy community should be ashamed that this guy's ADP is so low. I don't. I don't think you'll be able to actually get Johnson passed or even in the eighth round. It's rising. Day. It's rising. It's, it's, since two months ago, it's been climbing steady. <laughs> We're not the only ones beating the drum, so I'm worried. I am. I'm worried that I mean, he's not going to be a value much longer. I, I think eighth round is like the the floor for him. I would not be surprised if he's going in the late sixth. If I'm in the mid rounds looking for a wide receiver and I can't get my guy Marvin Jones. Give me Deontay Johnson every day of the week because these guys are the same type of player in terms of fantasy where they will have some inconsistency but can also win you a week any given Sunday. The question between the two for every fantasy player comes down to, I mean, the offenses and the quarterbacks, right? We got Big Ben. He got what's called a Tommy John procedure, which many, many MLB pitchers who throw the ball harder and more often than NFL quarterbacks do. They've come back and been completely fine from it, played the rest of their careers and been great. Big Ben even came out and said back in March that he's throwing the ball for the first time without pain uh, in years. And if we're talking league-winning upside, I think Johnson has the ability to take over as the one on this offense. I know that's a hot take, but we've never seen Juju Smith-Schuster take over as the clear one since Antonio Brown left. Am I projecting Johnson over Juju? Hell no, but is there a world where Johnson is leading this team in, t- in targets and touchdowns? I-, I think so. In his rookie season, Johnson had a 75% success rate versus man and a 75 success rate versus press coverage. Both of those are above the 80th percentile. This is all per reception perception. And only three other players have had a success rate as high as Johnson's and didn't put up a 1,000-yard season. All of them were due to injury. That was uh, Curtis Samuel, Sterling Shepard, 
Uh, there was another one there, Calvin Ridley. Uh, but from a route running perspective alone, Deontay Johnson couldn't be any more of a breakout candidate. And I think that's why everybody is, is kind of seeing this and jumping on the hype train. And, and I'm jumping on it as well. And I know he is a player where I am not worried about ADP. I just want this guy on my team, especially if you're drafting at the turn. He is a mid-round name that I think you can and should reach for. And the only way I see Johnson really bustering out is if James Washington takes away from his volume. But in the seventh or eighth round, he will help a lot of lineups in 2020. And I expect him to have a lot of DFS value as well. One thing I can promise you about Double Move Sports Podcast is that we will use the word bustering more than any other podcast. <laughs> At least Steph will. I love that. <laughs> hey, you got to no, sometimes, Steph- sometimes you win it all and you're a champion. Other times you just go out like a buster. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Steph, I got a quick pop quiz for you. It's one question. Do you know who led the Steelers in receiving yards last year? Well, no, Juju missed a bunch of time. I, I got to say it's my boy DJ. It was James Washington. Wow. James Washington had 735 receiving yards last season to Deontay Dang. Johnson's 680 yards. I know Johnson was a rookie, but Washington was only in his, in his second year. And, Steph, I actually believe in the talent of Deontay Johnson more than James Washington at this point in their careers. But Washington – very, very, very quietly still put up numbers in this struggling. So, I say numbers, but, you know, 44 <laughs> receptions for 735 yards and three touchdown numbers in this struggling Steelers look, offense look, last look, season. Look. He was very involved. He With, played 68% of snaps in this offense, and he was on the field a lot more than people realize. And he actually has a full year of experience with Big Ben. So, Steph, I look at this Deontay Johnson ADP, Deontay Johnson right now, where did you say he was going? Wide receiver, did you say 38? Uh, right now, his ADP per Fantasy Pros is the wide receiver 38. 38. James Washington is the wide receiver 72. Yeah, he's the real value. Free. Yeah, I mean, so, he, he should have been on our Deep Sleepers episode. Like, Washington really could actually end up being the two. I'm not going to say the one, whereas I think DJ has right. way more upside than Washington to take over as the one. Um, and I just look at it like... I think James Washington did benefit a lot from, you know, yes, the experience, but also the fact that Juju wasn't on the field. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I think given that we're talking mid-round league winners, Washington doesn't fit that category, and Johnson potentially could, so that's fair. But for me, I, I was really on board the Deontay Johnson hype train, but as his ADP has slowly been creeping up, I look at it and I'm like, if I'm picking a Steelers receiver, maybe it's Juju if he falls to the third, mid-third round or something like that. But James Washington at the end of drafts is pretty much free. Why not take a shot on him over a guy like Deontay Johnson? It's fair, but I just think like I think we're forgetting how dominant a healthy Big Ben is. I mean, they're they're a team that's close to 600 passing attempts. They're going to throw a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, I they could both have value this year for sure. I, I think honestly, like we've seen them support all three wide receivers in a receiving core before. It wouldn't be the first time if Big Ben comes out and does that again. And, you know, you see James, if James Conner goes down, let's say, and I know they drafted another running back, Anthony McFarland, uh, to kind of step in in that situation. But let's say Conner you know, goes down, they can't get the run game going. And then it's, you know, Steelers defense, please hold on as Big Ben airs it out, you know, 30 times a game. So I just love like when we look at it from like a separation, a route running perspective, David uh, Deontay Johnson to me is just like the, the clear like, you know, he's about to break out. He's that huge talent. 
that I think everybody can believe in. And and if Juju has a great season, like we all expect him to, that even, you know, just helps the offense even more, takes more of the pressure away and allows Juju to take kind of the, the top coverage and let Deontay Johnson just be that burner on the outside. All right. For my last mid-round league winner, I'm going with the tight end position. I'm going with Hayden Hurst of the Atlanta Falcons. There's been some hype going on for Hayden Hurst in the fantasy community, but I look at his ADP, and he's still the tight end 13, which just blows my mind. (laughs) He's going around the ninth, 10th round, which for me, if I'm going to punt the tight end position, I can get Hayden Hurst around that um around that ADP I am thrilled and I look at Hayden Hurst and I just I just see a lot of a lot of opportunity here one he's got the talent he was a first round pick just a couple years ago he was drafted ahead of Lamar Jackson in the same year (laughs) and two he's going to Atlanta where they're clearly just so obviously trying to replace that Austin Hooper role with Hayden Hurst so I think Hayden Hurst um has the belief of the Atlanta Falcons organization Um, of the coaching staff, and definitely Matt Ryan. Listen to this quote from Matt Ryan. They've been working together a little bit this offseason. Here's what Matt Ryan said about Hayden Hurst. He is for sure one of the fastest and most athletic tight ends I've ever played with. He's a mismatch problem. He's going to create separation and win in different ways. So early on, Matt Ryan seems like he really likes this guy, and it sounds like you you don't – know what to buy into when players talk like this or coach beak and things like that. But it sounds like Matt Ryan really likes this guy. I can see them building a really strong report throughout the season. And I don't see why he can't reach that ceiling that Austin Hooper had last year. Austin Hooper was the tight end six last year in just 13 games. Um, He averaged seven and a half targets a game. That's a 16 game pace of 120 targets. I think Hayden Hurst could potentially hit 120 targets right now. I have him just shy of a hundred But if he gets some extra volume in this Atlanta Falcons offense that's known to pass the ball a ton, they had the most pass attempts in the entire NFL last season with 684. There's no reason to believe Hayden Hurst could not get close to that 120 target level. Um, You know, over his past 10 seasons, Matt Ryan has averaged 4,400 passing yards a season. So I know there's Julio Jones in Atlanta as that guy who's going to get 1,500 yards a season. And Calvin Ridley is a popular breakout candidate as well. But there's still plenty of volume to go around in this offense. Hayden Hurst is my tight end seven right now, but I think there's major upside if he does get that extra bit of passing volume up to that 120 target level. And if he sees the touchdown volume um, that we'd like out of the tight end spot, if he can creep up towards 10 touchdowns this year, there's no reason to think he can't be right in that top tier. Maybe he's not quite with, you know, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, but I think he could easily finish as an upside play as a tight end three, as the tight end three. Wow. that's a super hot take right there, but I I love it, man. I mean, I have Hurst as my 10 and 8 as well. I think you said he's your 6? My 7. 7. So I have him at 8, so we're both pretty high on Hurst. And here's here's the thing. It's really hard to project a guy blowing up that we haven't seen it do – you know, haven't seen them do it before. But here's one of the biggest takeaways, and here's why I think Hayden Hurst is actually a hidden gem. Because when he was on the Ravens, they were leading – you know, every single game, pretty much, they were just able to run the ball again and again and again. They didn't need to air it out. But we saw in that game, in that playoff game, where both Hurst, Andrews, all the Ravens, I mean, Lamar Jackson had 59 passing attempts in that game, which is just Crazy. ludicrous. And it was a game where, you know, the Ravens were down and they needed to air it out. 
And in that game, Hurst actually had a very, very good stat line. So Mark Andrews saw seven targets. Uh, Hayden Hurst saw six, so one less, but actually outscored Mark Andrews in, in every category. So Hayden Hurst in that game had four receptions for 53 yards. So that's a 13.3 yard per reception. And then he also had a touchdown in that game. And I feel like that's kind of the, the baseline that we could see Hurst get to, or at least creep up to in the Atlanta Falcons offense. And it's kind of like, because he was on the Ravens, he was this hidden gem, this secret value. And I think that's why, you know, Atlanta was willing to pay up a little bit to go and get Hurst. Do you remember what that deal ended up being? I remember it being a, what I thought was a little bit yeah, high. Yeah, they traded a, they traded a second round pick to get him. I mean, so look, the, I mean, Atlanta believes in Hurst. I think they really do expect him to, to fit in this role. And with that, you know, he was on the field for 41% of snaps. That was essentially the same as Mark Andrews. He just wasn't utilized a ton last year. But when he did get his chance, he, he shined, especially on the big stage in the playoffs. So if we have to look at it like a glimpse, like have we seen this at all? Um, I think we have seen it. We saw it on the big stage. Steph, I have to mention one massive massive thing working against Hurst this season. It's the one thing that no one, I have not heard a single person talk about this on any fantasy podcast, any football podcast, but it's so glaring and something that could be very, very, very concerning for Hayden Hurst's season this year. You want to know what it is? (laughs) What's that? So little known fact, Hurst actually played on the Pittsburgh Pirates for two seasons. Um, He was drafted in 2012 uh, by the Pirates, played in their what? organization, and he gave up. This is according to Wikipedia, so give or take what you want there. But <laughs> he gave up baseball because he had the yips. What does that mean exactly? So the yips is when you literally stop being able to do a function. So think about a third baseman gets the yips. He suddenly loses the cognitive and physical ability to throw the ball to first base. So... Some people get the yips and they lose the ability to drive a car. And all of a sudden they have this mental block and they just can't drive a car. So Hayden Hurst quit his baseball career. It literally says he attributes it to the yips. So who knows if he immediately loses the ability to catch a football, it could be a huge red flag for all fantasy owners everywhere. (laughs) So just had to throw that out there. Maybe um, someone hacked the Wikipedia page and they're messing with me. And it shows he's an athlete. Honestly, he was able to play baseball. Um, with the Pirates, turned turn down a scholarship from Florida State. Wow. I mean, here, here's the thing about Hurst, too. I mean, he's an incredible story. If you go and read up on Hayden Hurst, he's dealt with addiction, drug problems, and finally it feels like he's he's cleaned up, ready to go. He had a good season last year. I mean, maybe it's not like something that shows up in the box score, but he was a pivotal part of the Ravens' success. He was on the field, like I said, just as much as Mark Andrews. So if you think, oh, Mark Andrews is a pivotal piece, yeah, maybe Hurst wasn't doing as much in the receiving game, but he was on the field just as often. So, you know, I, I hope Hurst has a great season, honestly, for his own sake. He's an incredible, just inspiring story. Um, but, but, man, that, that actually just blew my mind there. Hopefully the yips never happen again for him. You hate to see it. You really hate to see it. Well, Alex, I think that wraps up our mid-round league winners, our values in those middle rounds. Thought it was a hell of a show. We brought up some really interesting names that I was glad we were able to touch on here. Guys, if you haven't had a chance to yet, go check out a video I just dropped on our YouTube channel, breaking down Kenyon Drake's film from his tenure with the Cardinals last season. Uh, it was like a breakdown talking about his projections, how is he fits into that Arizona Cardinals offense and what we expect for him. I think everybody's excited that, that uh, your boy's back in the film room now. And Alex, I know you got more coming as well. So I'm excited to see what you got. Anything else to say here before we sign off? 
Only thing I want to say is I do have a film room in the lab. We'll see how that goes. I'm working Ooh. on that now. And the last thing I want to say is it was fun answering some questions um, from listeners on today's show. Drop questions in the YouTube comments. Throw them on Twitter, um, anywhere, and we will try to answer those questions on the show. It's really fun to get into some of these um, you know, dynasty questions or ADP questions or pre-draft questions or anything like that. So feel free to hit us up with questions. We try to answer as many as we can, either on Twitter, in the comments, or even on the show. And again, guys, if you like what we're doing here on the show, the biggest thing you can do to support us, hit that subscribe button. Oh my button gosh, on please YouTube. hit that subscribe button. Just we're do making it. a big push right now. We are hitting like I think it's like you know, 80 subscribers in the last month. Like we're trying to make a push on there. So anything you guys I can bet give you us won't hit the on subscribe YouTube, button. I bet you won't. Hit that sub button, Prove me share it with your friends. Greatly appreciate it. We love it. Thank you all so much for listening and watching. And we'll see y'all next time. Peace.